Hi, good morning, everyone, and welcome. This is Short Takes and Updates with Joy and Tova. I'm Joy, JJ Walsh, here in Hiroshima, a Hiroshima-based sustainability-focused consultant for the travel industry and small businesses. And this is... Hi, I'm Tova Kinooka. So um, I'm based in Yokohama, just outside Tokyo. I'm also a sustainability consultant, but working with mainly big corporates, getting their people aligned with sustainability strategies and ambitions. And we have started collaborating on this weekly talk show to give you some ideas about some of the news and topics that have been on our radar as we go forth and go into this really exciting event that we're planning together March 21st, which we hope will still go ahead. Uh, it will go ahead in some form, whether we're in state of emergency, it might just be online. Um, if uh, numbers are okay, we're going to have an in-person venue in Hiroshima, in-person venue in Tokyo, and online at the same time from 9 to 4 on the public holiday March 21st. So please save the date. Absolutely. All right. Look forward to seeing you there. Yeah. Fingers crossed we can go ahead in person and I online. So. I hope so. Yeah. Now, I'd like to start with a little bit of practical information because I had a Twitter exchange. A woman had bought some rechargeable batteries and she just had the pack of rechargeable batteries and she was asking, do I need to buy a charger now too? So I, I think the basic understanding about rechargeable batteries is worth talking about. So uh, this is the rechargeable battery. I would recommend buying rechargeable batteries. It's a little bit more expensive, but you can use it for a really long time. You can buy a plug-in charger like this into the wall socket. There's also USB chargers. I like chargers like this that have the smaller and the regular size, so you can choose and charge them both at the same time if you want to. So it's just a great initiative to reduce your, your garbage because if you're using single-use batteries, it does create problems in the, the waste management system as well. So it's a good idea. Absolutely. It's really good to see um, a charger like that with two because I know we've got one that is for the sort of the, the most common size of batteries, but we don't have one for the smaller ones. So it's great to see. Yeah. And she was also asking, uh, do you have to buy the same brand charger and battery? And in my experience, no, yeah. you can definitely mix and match. No problem. I know Amazon has their own brand of rechargeable batteries. It works with any charger, that kind of thing. Yeah. Brilliant. Another uh, quick tip uh, is wash your filters on your heaters. Um, so if you have uh, air conditioner and you use it as your heater now or and you're changing, I, you know, most people change the filters or wash the filters every season, but it's a really good idea now that we're kind of midwinter. We've got another month maybe of using the heater before we turn it off. Um, just take those filters out, give it a quick wash, dry them, put them back in. It's not too hard. And according to the energy agency can save you five to 15% on your energy bill. Wow. That's, that's significant. That right. Really so significant. yeah. another example where you can be more sustainable, reduce your energy consumption, which is better for reducing your carbon, but you're also saving money, right? important very much so whether you're an individual or a company i think um that's uh, definitely an incentive isn't it absolutely 
Yeah. Now, Tofa, do you want to start with uh, about the seminar, the webinar that you were a part of recently? Right. Yes. So um, back at the uh, right at the beginning of the year, we did um, a webinar with our partners, um, N World Executive Search, and you can see Rob England there in the picture from N World. Um, and we were looking at basically, you know, what are the, the the trends, oh, sorry, it was in December. My gosh, time has gone very quickly. Um, it, we were looking at the trends that had sort of been happening in sustainability, um, or not so much trends, the shifts, really. Um, a trend, you know, feels like something transient. It comes and it goes. This is really a, a substantial shift with companies um, realizing that this is here to stay. This is an imperative for their businesses. Um, like you say, they're a cost um connections as well as um you know the the compliance and and ethics of it all um so we we had this event with nworld where we were looking at what are the big shifts happening and how are they impacting people in organizations and we looked at uh, a number of different aspects and one of the points that rob um brought up from uh, nworld's perspective so nworld you know executive search um organization they work with a lot of the big gaishke the the international companies here as well as along a lot of the the big japanese companies and they're looking at placing people in top level roles and he said there's been a um a noticeable shift in um companies understanding that these roles really need to be valued so for uh, recent years, it had been that you know, companies were starting to set up sustainability teams, perhaps. They were often um, saying, OK, well, how do we find these people? Is it someone we've got internally who says, yeah, well, I'm, I'm interested in sustainability? <laughs> and they'll go, right, OK, now you're the, the head of sustainability. But the, the pay um, and the, the respect the role got, if you like, was often you know, fairly low level. It wasn't really considered part of the, you know, the the top level executive team. And that seems to be shifting. Um, in sort of Europe, that's been happening, you know, for quite a long time now. A lot of companies are actually, uh, for example, IKEA, IKEA makes their, um, their CEO or country leader is also their chief sustainability um, officer in any of their um, territories, which, you know, immediately brings that top level accountability. But we're starting to see that happening a little bit more in Japan now, which is really interesting and a wonderful um, shift to see. It, this needs to happen. It needs to be up there. The pay needs to be, you know, in line with the level of responsibility and things. But it's interesting to see that also now um, from MWorld, they're hearing that there, there's a gap. Okay, so companies say, okay, we, we want to create this role. We need these people. Where do we find them? <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's you know that there's a gap between the needs of uh, the the business community, and not so many people out there yet with the the kind of perfect combination, if you like, of that top level um, managerial experience, the you know ability to think strategically and to really make decisions at an organizational level, but also having enough. Um, knowledge of sustainability to be able to make the you know the right decisions there so we've got people who are coming up who are maybe deep subject experts in particular areas of sustainability maybe don't have the broader organizational experience or knowledge so we're kind of at this interesting um 
tipping point perhaps where I think companies are, are looking to and certainly some of the ones we're talking to and the NWORLD are talking to are having to think okay so what do we prioritize if when we create this role and this team and we're trying to find the right people for it what what does the right person look like and what is their profile and, and actually what are the must-haves versus the nice-to-haves um, so that was a really interesting conversation and um, I think we can pop the link in below there's a summary there's the article summarizing it but also you can watch the video if you've got a bit yeah, of time. Yeah it was a really good discussion I really liked um, the whole idea that your partner Gavin was talking about transferability finding yeah. people who maybe don't have the training or the expertise yet, but they show potential for understanding how sustainability can be applied and put into action. And those are the people you want to choose and start training and getting them going, right? And I, this is a real problem, I think, in Japan right now, is you have all this sustainability talk, SDG, like up without any real connection to how it works, right? Uh, one right. clear thing that I've been talking to businesses recently is about, is about optics, right? Mm, so if right. I look at any SDG seminar like this one, I was really happy to see balance. You've got a balance in the number of men and women on screen, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Not just men talking, not just uh, people in suits talking, you've got a variety of ages, you're showing inclusion and diversity. It's yeah. not just about what you say, it's about what you do. I um, had to give some advice to a company that I was watching their webinar and everybody in their panel had single use plastic water bottles. And I said, you know, in 2022, that's not good enough. You cannot do that. If you're talking about SDGs and you're using a single-use bottle, mm -mm, yeah, no good. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> why not filtered water and glasses? You know, yeah, let's yeah. let's think about the optics. And are you showing that you're doing what you say and saying what you do? Right. Absolutely. And I think you know, if you want people to trust what you're saying and it to be really credible, then that is absolutely you know, a must, right? You can't be saying one thing, advocating one thing, and then your behavior shows exactly the opposite or that you're not, you know, really caring about that at all. And I think a lot of companies have been caught out with that, you know, on social media, we've seen things. There was a thing with Coca-Cola, I think last year with the, the you know, famous footballer taking the bottle and putting it out of the, the shot and things like this. And, you know, forever seeing, um, you know, posts on, on Facebook or whatever, commenting on this, it, they can't keep getting away with it. And that is something that is, uh, you know, needs to be part of the conversation. Um, that awareness of, you know, how it comes across and whether you want people to believe what you're saying or not. Absolutely. And I did an SDG seminar last week and it, I thought it was really good. And we had really good responses. I was talking about how Japan uh, perceives sustainability in terms of some surveys that were done here compared to how con consumers and the public see sustainability in other countries and kind of com comparing or benchmarking where Japan seems to be right now and where other countries uh, seem to be just to have a general idea and one of the interesting comments was about the word sustainable. The word sustainability is mm -hmm. a problem 
in Japan because nobody understands it. And then that got me, well, there's a great comment, really happy to have that. But it got me thinking about there are Japanese words like sampo yoshi, the idea that the company is going to take care of not only the customer, um, but also society as well as their own business. But I see big things lacking in that you're not talking about the environment clearly. You're not, Mm -hmm. you know, like you're assuming that part of that would be the environment. But yes. what I what I try to get across is sustainability is like an umbrella. And then inside, there are so many areas that we need to work on. And so we really do need to stick to that word sustainability or sustainable and the balance between people, planet, profit, because yeah. that's the most, in, in terms of my perspective, that is the most clear way to start talking about it. Right. And you had this great graphic here, Tova. Well, this is from the Stockholm Resilience Center. And um, I think it just really illustrates very clearly that, um, you know, very often when you're talking about sustainability, if you use that word, um, people very often jump to, oh, it's environment or you're talking about plastic waste or you're talking about, you know, carbon emissions. And that's part of it, yes, absolutely. But as you can see really clearly from this, you've got different levels. So you've got the biosphere levels. If we're looking at the, the 17 SDGs, for example, you've got biosphere levels, we're looking at forests, we're looking at um, you know underwater, land use, etc. But above that, the next layer is society. These are all people related, related to the way we live our lives, our businesses, our education. Um, and uh, things like food and gender equality, health, etc. And then on top of that, you've got, like you were saying, the business side, the economy, okay, up there as well. Um, in sustainable consumption and, and you know, use and all of these things. And I think um, it's, it's very easy for, for people to fixate on one particular aspect of sustainability and forget that there are all these bits and they're very, very strongly interconnected and interdependent. Um, And this is something we we spoke about a little bit over the weekend when we were speaking to our other uh, team member for this event, Shirley Kortian, who we will be speaking to in a few weeks on on this live stream. But the fact that, um, you know, she works a lot in the the gender equality space, but also um, cultural differences and accepting, you know, people who are different and um, understanding how those can bring benefits and how having equality between different cultures and backgrounds is also a part of sustainability. You cannot have, you know, a sustainable company or society if people are marginalized or, or treated unfairly. And that's, that's part of it as well. So I think that I like that model from the Stockholm Resilience Center because it just clarifies really well that there are these different layers, but they're all interlinked. Absolutely. And to simplify, <laughs> you could say the bottom layer is planet yep. and the middle layer is people and the top layer is profit. Right. Absolutely. And so finding finding a way to balance the needs of yep. people and the needs of planet with yes. the needs for profit, because we know yep. that 
if you're not making income, you're not going to be sustainable either, right? Exactly. So it really is that balance between the three. And if you only focus on profit, we see loads of problems with that, right? So <laughs> you really have to think about all three. And yep. I think the people planet profit, it, it's just the easiest way to describe it. I think where yes. people should be able to start getting it, the more you hear it, Mm -hmm. the easier it becomes to apply to other news and ideas, right? Exactly, exactly. Like you say, it's a great way to simplify it and, and make it understandable to, to anyone and everyone. Um, and I think, um, you know, we were talking about awareness as well and how that uh, at different in different sectors of society, if you like, so in the business communities, but in sort of local communities at a global level, in schools, in all these different sort of sectors of our world and, and lives, um, that awareness is often quite shallow still. Um, and uh, a lot needs to be done on just building that fundamental understanding um, of what is sustainability? How does this connect to me? And what can I do about it? Absolutely. And then linking it to Japanese culture, and Japanese traditions and Japanese heritage yep. and ways that we were doing it in the past. And we should bring that back because that's a really good idea. Um, it might be less convenient, but it's better for the long term, like making those connections. Yep. Um, one of the concepts which I think is often misunderstood is motainai right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So the idea of don't waste, that's actually complicated. What does it mean not to waste? Right. Like if, yeah. if you have uh, I heard this example from a local cafe, uh, like a vegan cafe. And I was like, your food is so sustainable. You're doing so much plant based food. It's wonderful to see that because we know meat and fish has such a high carbon impact on the world and people. Um, it's wonderful to see, but he was using plastic straws in all his smoothies. And I said, why are you using the plastic straws? And he mm -hmm. said, it's mutainai because I have boxes and boxes of these plastic straws. Uh, and right. I was like, that's interesting. I get what he means. Mm -hmm. But in my mind, from someone who does beach cleanup and picks up plastic straws from the rivers and the ocean, I know that it's better not to use it. It's it's yeah. going to end up in the garbage system eventually if you use it or not. Mm -hmm. So I would advise just put it into the recycling or garbage right now and stop using it. Because yeah. if that ends up on the street and in the waterways, it's going to cause more damage down the line, right? Yeah. But those, those kind of considerations are really complicated when it comes to Motainai, right? Very much so. And particularly, you know, for, for a small business like the one you're talking about, that's a, a, you know, a cost consideration as well. If they've already had outlay on a particular item that, you know, was bought before they had the, the awareness of the impact it has, that for them, you know, if they're suddenly having to write that off, that's a, a cost to their business. And I think particularly with the, you know, corona situation at the moment, small businesses and particularly the ones that cannot operate online like cafes and restaurants they're really feeling the pinch right so the the idea i can understand both from an emotional point of view of you know it's motainai it feels wasteful to to not use something you've already got but there's also that okay well if we dispose of this responsibly and carefully we've still got to buy something to replace it and that's another outlay for our business and and then that straws okay that's a fairly you know, small example, but I think this goes 
a long way as well um, and can be a much larger scale. So one of the projects we worked on last year um, was with a, a very large uh, Japanese coffee company and looking at uh, their materiality issues. So we were looking at, you know, where is their biggest impact? What about their energy usage um, and uh, the, the, the waste and all of these different aspects? And one of the things that they'd broken down and had figures on was um, the equipment in their factories. So they've got all these factories in Japan that are producing, you know, uh, processing the, the the beans, the roasting, the um, producing the the bottled coffee, the canned coffee, and all these things going out there, and then they've got the whole delivery, you know, um, infrastructure as well, the trucks and things like this. And they're saying, okay, well, the plan is to shift to to EVs for the delivery. That's great, and to these much more efficient roasting machines, but that's a massive outlay for the company, a huge outlay. So they've really got to, to stage this very carefully and think about that investment. And they know that in the long run, A, it lowers their carbon emissions, which means um, you know, they're going to be less liable for um, you know, carbon tax in the future, which would be a, a huge potential, well, definite upcoming future cost for them. Um, but in the short term, that hurts. That really hurts having to you know, take that hit to say, you know, what, what do we do with these machines? They're still perfectly functional, but they're inefficient. They're having a negative impact and we know we need to replace them. So there's the whole multi aspect of getting rid of something that is still serving its purpose, but also the outlay and the, the cost to the business of doing that. So it's, yeah, it's really absolutely. a difficult topic. Yeah. Right. And I, I had a friend who was thinking about solar panels when we had our solar panels put on. It's a big investment. You know, you have to pay it off over 10 years if you get a loan. Right. Um, yeah. But she was saying, oh, it's Motainai because I really need to fix my roof first. Uh, and then get solar panels. And I was trying to put her in touch with my my solar seller, Kyosera, because they were saying it wouldn't be a big cost if you decide to get your roof fixed after to move the solar panels while you're mm -hmm. fixing your roof, put it back on. It's not a really big deal. So yeah. I put her in touch, but she decided she wanted to do that that order right the gym yeah, bond get the good. roof fixed and then get the solar panels but it's been 20 years and she hasn't done the roof or the solar so you know like thinking <laughs> thinking of these things i understand the consideration right and mm. you really have to make the best decision for yourself but you have to also be honest about what really is my best option right yeah. now right and yeah. can i afford it and if I can't afford it right now, how long until I can afford it? Like there's mm -hmm. all these considerations, right? Absolutely. And also the thinking about sort of that, uh, sort of analyzing the, the, the options there, you can think about, yes, you know, can I afford it? What is the, the outlay required right now? And um, you know, how does that impact me? But also if you think longer term, there's the, what is the, the, the impact to me um, in terms of uh, finance, but also other aspects as well of quality of life, etc., of not doing this. So that's something we worked with with you know the coffee company last year, saying, okay, yes, this is painful. Now you've got you know this huge these huge costs coming up, and you can see that. But the cost of not doing it long term, in terms of a the carbon tax you have to pay, b you know the the perception you cannot go 
credibly saying that we are sustainable in the way we produce our coffee. If you're making this impact and you know you're making that impact, you're making no effort to to reduce it. So you've got the whole reputational impact as well. Back to optics, as you were saying in the beginning, um, you know, the cost of inaction can be considerable as well, although it's often more difficult to see and it's further down the line. Yeah. Absolutely. I did find one interesting example from outside Japan. This amazing woman, Wangari Matari, Matai, and she was the first African woman to win the Nobel Peace Prize in 2004. And she started a tree planting project in Africa, yes. which also empowered women, which also educated people. And she adopted the word motainai as like her her theme word for oh, wow. what she was trying to do. And I thought mm -hmm. that was really cool to see that Japanese word reused in such a positive way. Really yeah. wonderful. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And I think there's often so much we can learn from other cultures and, and bring on board. And it was you know, interesting, you were saying that in your SDG seminar, people were saying, well, the word sustainability isn't really understood here. But, you know, it's an import word. And yes, there is the Japanese version, as we discussed last week, but often that's not really understood either. Um, but I think, you know, over time, it will come to be understood. Um, and then, you know, if people can understand what it embodies, what it infers, and everything that is underneath that, then it becomes a really valuable asset um, and a really helpful way to be able to talk about these issues. Absolutely. And if you can show how your destination, your business is applying SDGs in action, giving examples of how it works with your products and your services, giving those specific examples as examples of sustainability or SDG in action. That's yeah. really key right now, right? So when I was mm -hmm. doing this um, tour guide seminar in Hiroshima Station, I would always take them to this Hiroshima brand display okay. and, sh and tell them, you know, like when you're showing these locally made products, made with local wood, made by local craftspeople, not packaged in plastic. These are, there's so many wonderful examples right here mm. that you can show to visitors, which will really impress them. Yeah. Right? So let's look for what we have and highlight that because yeah. we do have a lot. Yes. And it's often a great way to, to get, get things moving, right? To start with the positive stories. I think certainly with the work we do with corporates, if we come in and we just look at what they're doing and say, no, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're not doing that, da, 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 and come in with everything that's wrong and that they could be doing, but they're not, um, people don't respond well to that. But, if you know, yes, they need to know it. You can't sugarcoat, you know, things that really need to be changed. But I think if you can also look for those positive examples, like you said, um, whether that's external branding or whether that's things that they're doing in the company and say, look, you know, this team over here in this function is already working on this and they've reduced their waste or their energy consumption in this department by this amount. That's fantastic. What could you guys do in your department? Let's use this as a, a catalyst for change um, and to build that positive momentum. Um, yeah, totally agree with you. It's really, really powerful. Awesome. Uh, it's time to talk about books. So I would like to start uh, this Friday at 8 a.m. Japan time. I am talking with the amazing journalist Ian Urbina, 
who has started this journalistic project called The Outlaw Ocean. So he wrote the book, The Outlaw Ocean, which is also in Japanese. You can see the Japanese version up there in many languages it's been translated into. And the book is such a great example of how one issue, talking about the oceans, is so complex and has so many examples of how we need to think about human rights and the people aspect. We need to think about the environmental aspect, definitely, and how governments can get involved to mm. make rules. But all governments really need to work together because one government, it's not good enough. Like the ocean is right. a really big place. Um, <laughs> so there's so many great examples and insights from his stories that I hope to dive into this Friday. So please join us. That's brilliant. Now I'm really looking forward to listening to that. That sounds fascinating. Awesome. And Tova, you had a great book to yeah. introduce? So on another uh, section of sustainability, this time the, the people side of things, looking um, the, the book I've picked up is I Took Her Name by Shu Matsuo Post. Um, so Shu, for um, anyone who hasn't seen his LinkedIn post or Facebook post, he's very, very active there. So he's Japanese but he married a lady from North America and decided that uh, he would take her name. So Post is her surname. Um, Matsuo was his original name and they both changed their surname to Matsuo Post. Um, he didn't see the reason why you know, he should or she should change her name completely to his and, and lose her identity. Um, but this caused havoc um, with the, the paperwork side of things when they came to Japan and trying to, to get the, the name recognized um, legally was really, really difficult. So he, he learned a lot. He was very surprised by this. He learned a lot through that experience about gender inequality, um, particularly here in Japan and how you know, the, the men are perceived as the providers, the head of the household and so on. And there's, there's really no no other options there, very difficult um, in the, the legal system um, and often society and expectations as well. People were very surprised when he decided to do this. So it's, you know, that is, the, the book is about his personal story and then he looks at that as a, a way to understand sort of toxic masculinity and expectations, how we can look at things from both sides of the story and be much more inclusive and uh, build a more positive version of masculinity um, as on men as feminists going forward. So I would highly recommend reading this. It was a really interesting book. It's a great book. And I had the chance to interview Shu Matsuo Post in the series uh, in 2021, in the beginning, I think. So mm -hmm. I'd love to follow up and see how after his book was published and his uh, further speaking engagements, how how his ideas might have changed or updated a little bit. Right. Be wonderful yeah. to catch up. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Well, thank you, Tova, and thank you, everybody, for joining. That is our 30 Minutes Short Takes and Updates. Please join us again next week. I think next week we've decided on Wednesday the 9th. That's right. For yeah. the next Short Takes and Updates, so 9 a.m. on the 9th. Easy to remember. Please join us then. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you. See you next week. Won't you see, won't you see I'll take your pain, just let me through Don't worry, baby, I love you Don't be afraid to tell me the truth
this room I show my tears to you I'm stronger I dropped the armor now I'm bolder